Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins, a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and sacred scriptures, along with information on topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will interview Dr. Tim Collins from Walsh University. We will also look at the life of St. Gerard Mayella, as well as reflections on the readings for this 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our Bishop's Corner, we will welcome Father Michael Bolish. Joining me again is Father Michael Bolish, who is the Director of Worship for the Diocese of Youngstown. Welcome back to Wineskins. Good to be here. Thanks. You know, Father Mike, last time you were on, we talked about your role as Vicar for Clergy, but now we're going to focus on the liturgy and the worship aspect, which I know is near and dear to your heart. Why is it important for us as people of Vatican II to give all that we can whenever we gather to celebrate on Sunday Mass? Well, because I think our worship on Sunday is at the heart of our faith. You know, one of the things that I often tell my parishioners is that you can have the best religious education program, the best outreach to the poor, the best bingo game in town, the best dinners or the best festival. But if you don't have the best Sunday worship experience that you possibly can have, you really don't have anything at all because our starting point and the ending point of our faith is really our Sunday worship. And I think we know for sure and for certainty that if people are not fed at the Sunday Mass, they're either not going to come back or they're going to search for something else where they can be fed. So I think it's important to put our time, our energy, our resources within that weekend liturgy because the bulk of the people who do come to our churches, we see on the weekends. And so it's really important for us to kind of put our focus and energy financial and also time and talent within that. You know, ever since Vatican II, there's been that thrust that we are the body of Christ. And when we gather, we each have particular roles. Are those roles expanding or is it important for us to understand our role within the liturgy? Well, I think everyone has the same role and that is to worship God. Now, how that role is enacted may be different. It could be through music ministry, through the ministry of a cantor, hospitality, Eucharistic minister, lectors, and obviously as presider. And so all of those roles, I think, bring it all together. Much like when you gather around your table for a family dinner, someone has to cook it, someone has to set it, someone has to clean up, and for it to work, all those people have to come together and work hand in hand. Same thing when it comes to our worship at Mass. I think it's almost like into, uh, I like the analogy of it's almost like an orchestra or a symphony. Everyone has a different kind of instrument to play, but also has a certain part and they come in at a certain time to do what their job is. When we talk about gathering, oftentimes there are special gatherings at the cathedral. Why is the cathedral and the life of a local diocese important and how can people celebrate that more? The cathedral is the main church of the diocese, and then from that, all the other parishes are established. So at the cathedral, that is the mother church, and that is the 
perhaps prime expression of our liturgical worship. So when events happen at the cathedral, it's always a great time because it really expresses the entire diocese and the diversity of the diocese, as well as our unity as a diocese. And I think when we gather to celebrate Eucharist, there's a real deep sense that we remember we're not there by ourselves. We're there in community. Sometimes people get the sense that I'm there just to pray, not to talk to anybody, not to interact, but just to be there to pray. That's obviously a fallacy, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think we have to continue to remind ourselves that we belong to a bigger broader, wider church. And sometimes we can become very centered on our parish. That's why the cathedral is also such an important part of our worship, because when we come to the cathedral, it's an instant reminder that we belong to something much bigger than our local parish. I find that even physically, cathedral it has to be one of the biggest churches in our diocese, rightly so. Well, you know, we use that word a microcosm. While the diocese is a microcosm of the universal church, so a parish is really a microcosm of the diocese. So it's important that we are part of all of that. In closing, what would you like to tell the folks that are with us about how they can best participate in the life of the church when it comes to the Sunday Eucharist? I think it's important to realize that we all come with our baggage. We all come with our challenges. We all come with the different things that we face during the week. And I find that Sunday worship is the one moment where we can leave that all behind and kind of enter into an experience where we are fed, where we are enriched and blessed by God to be able to then go out into the world for the next six days and face all the stuff that we have to face. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to really gather every Sunday to be renewed and to be refreshed because life's not easy. But I think our Sunday worship gives us a tool that will help us cope with life. Father Michael Ballish, Director of Worship for the Diocese of Youngstown, thank you so much for being with us. And we encourage the folks that are listening to please attend Mass on the weekends and to gather with their local community to celebrate God present among us. Thank you. Thank you. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. The Church celebrates a feast of St. Gerard Mayala on October 16th. To tell us more is Diana Hencherenko. She is the young adult minister at St. Angela Marici Church in Youngstown. St. Gerard was an Italian lay brother of the Congregation of the Redeemer, better known as the Redemptorists. A married woman on the verge of losing her life in childbirth remembered the saintly lay brother. She asked for his handkerchief to be brought to her. Almost immediately, the pain disappeared and she gave birth to a healthy child. He is the patron of expectant mothers. He grew up in poverty with a great respect for the poor. At the age of 12, his father passed away and he was forced to grow up fast. He eventually took a job with the local bishop as a servant. His health was not good, even as a young child. He wanted to enter the Capuchin Monastery, but was turned down twice and told that his health was not well enough for such a strenuous life. Gerard did not give up. In 1749, at the age of 23, he joined the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer and just three years later became a professed lay brother. He stayed close with the poor and worked many different jobs. Wherever his presence was demanded, he graciously presented himself. He was there to do the will of God. Throughout his years, many miracles are tied to him, including restoring a boy's life after he fell from a high cliff, blessing a poor farmer's crops, ridding it of mice, 
blessing a poor family's supply of wheat, causing it to last until the next harvest. And he multiplied bread for the poor on several occasions. His prayers are sought for the children, unborn children, women in childbirth, mothers, expectant mothers, motherhood, falsely accused people, good confessions, and lay brothers. Let us pray. O glorious Saint Gerard, we will call you and seek your help. Intercede with the giver of life from whom all parenthood proceeds, that they may conceive and raise children who will please God in this life and be heirs to the kingdom of heaven. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. For Wineskins, I'm Diana Hancharenko. With me again is Dr. Tim Collins, who is the president of Walsh University. Welcome back to Wineskins. Swords up and happy anniversary, Father. Doctor, it's always great to see you, and I certainly enjoyed the last time you were with us, filling us in on some of the great things that are going on at the university. We are, as the Diocese of Youngstown, celebrating 80 years. And so we know that part of our legacy as a diocese is Walsh University. Goes back to 1960. Give us a brief history of how it all started. Yeah, Father, it's a great story. You know, we came into being when you all were just, I guess, 17 years old. So Mm -hmm. the diocese was a teenager. The Brothers of Christian Instruction had a college in Alfred, Maine, that was there just to train their seminarians, which was very normal, you know, back in the 40s and the 50s. And they were contemplating a move to Detroit. And they came through and spent the night here in Youngstown. And Bishop Walsh, whom we're named after, he was the bishop at the time, and he convinced the brothers to come take a look at maybe an idea that he had mm-hmm. for coming to Stark County. So the bishop, you know, influenced him and they all took it to prayer and they went back, went to Detroit, but then they went back and they had a big conversation, you know, as a congregation and they decided that maybe they should give this a look. So they came back and the bishop sweetened the deal, said, I'll give you the land. Let's make mm-hmm. this happen. And so there were 50 acres of an alfalfa field at the time mm-hmm. in Stark County and that became home to Walsh College at the time, and it welcomed its first class on the 17th of November in 1960. And so just this year, you know, we're celebrating our, well, I guess in May, we celebrated our 60th graduating class, so now we're into our 61st. And over that whole time now, just 60 years of classes that have cycled through, we've had some amazing men and women. Of course, it was just for men. There were 67 gentlemen that showed up that first day when Brother Farrell welcomed them, and he challenged them to be a part of making this a Catholic University that in his words would make Christ known to the world. And so the brothers were very focused in on that. Their third president was Brother Francis Bluen, who was sort of a globalist in nature. And he used to always tell the students, you must make a difference. And I think that has really carried through and rung in the ears of a lot of people for a lot of time. So the men and women became co-ed in the 70s. We're now building what we call Walsh 4.0. That first version was just the men. The second version was, of course, when the women arrived. The third version, version 3.0, that's when we became a university in the early 1990s. Mm-hmm. You know, and now we're on to 4.0. As we think to the future, where are we going? The brothers have withdrawn. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, aged. 
they've withdrawn back to Alfred Bain, which is still their American mm -hmm. mother house. Mm -hmm. They're still connected with us. We still have them serving on the board, and that will just continue as long as they're able to. Sure. But our ability to continue that legacy here in the diocese and be very close to the diocese, I think, has been an important reason why it's been sustained and why it's continued to do well. Most all mm -hmm. in Catholic education, there's 223 of them today, most of them were built by the religious orders. Yeah. In fact, only Catholic University, that's the only one that the bishops themselves actually built. Mm -hmm. All the rest were built by others, and the most right. recent invention in this space are the ones that are done by the lay people like out of Wyoming Catholic College or Christendom in mm -hmm. Virginia. But here in Youngstown, we have not had any of that. We have been in a bubble, I think, in some sense. The relationships mm -hmm. with the bishop and the university for our entire history has been close and positive. You know, Bishop Bonner, when he came here, he called me almost immediately. He's been on our campus. He's been in the classroom. And our relationship has just been great. And I think that that really contributes to the health and vitality of the diocese as well. You know, as we talk about anniversaries, it's a time to kind of celebrate wonderful events, things that have happened. Over the years, there have been wonderful events that have happened throughout the life of Walsh. What are one or two of those significant ones that you can pull out is a celebration. Yeah, well, we can celebrate. We've had Nobel Prize winners on campus. Mother mm -hmm. Teresa herself came and talked to all of us back when she was there. I think that was, you know, an important point as we mm -hmm. think about our history and the things that are important to us. It reminded all of us that we're here to serve. Mm -hmm. Just this spring, we had Archbishop Warda. He is the leading international voice on the persecution of Christians. Mm -hmm. I think he's Mother Teresa before the world knew mm -hmm. Mother Teresa. He was our commencement speaker this past May. Yeah. And so we have had, along the way, adding some of the academic programs that we've had. Nursing, we're one of the top-ranked nursing mm -hmm. schools here in the entire region. And we've had lots of distinguished people come in and talk to our community, talk to our not just our faculty and staff, but also the public community itself. And Walsh, it's the largest employer in North Canton. Mm -hmm. And so Hoover Company goes away, and now suddenly Walsh is it, sure. and Walsh has continued to go that way. So we've made a big difference just in the community and how we conduct our business and the people we've educated. And now I think as we're into our 63rd year, the diocese into its 80. Now we're seeing like third generation students. We used to just say, who are the legacy students? Who's the student of a parent? Now, who are the students of a grandparent that was an alum? Mm -hmm. So we have third generation students that are right there with us. About 86% of our students come from Ohio, which is national. Mm -hmm. That's true everywhere. Most students do not leave the state. They stay at home. Yeah. And so here in Northeast Ohio, we're a fixture, and I think it's in large measure because of the success we've had yeah. in making contributions to the economy, to the community, as well as to just what we're doing in higher education. As you look down the road, what would be some of the things that you would like to have happen that will lift up even more the faith community at Walsh and also tie you to the global community. Oh, Father, thank you for that question. So, you know, we do live in interesting times, mm -hmm. and I think it's a wonderful time to be a Catholic, and I think it's a wonderful time to be a Catholic institution. And, you know, every day, the more and more crazy things that we're all reading in the paper or hearing about, sure. it just shines a light on us even more, because all those things will fade away because they're not true. And so Walsh has always been true. You know, we're one of only 15 schools of that 223 Catholic colleges and universities that are noted by an independent, objective, nonprofit organization called the Cardinal Newman Society as one of the few that's actually trying to remain faithful to what the Catholic Church has done now for 935 years. 
And so as we look to the future, what I hope for is that we continue to build men and women with good character because that is the primary purpose of education. And in our case, you know, we've always faithfully believed that the parents are the primary educators. Our job is to continue the work that they began. And so we're going to continue to be faithful to that. We're going to continue to make sure that the light of Christ shines through our graduates and that they're out there making a difference, which is exactly what Brother Francis asked us to do and what we're all continuing to do. And I have no doubt that, you know, when we look your 160th and when we're into our 120th anniversary, we're going to look back and say the singularly most impressive thing that that university did was they held the line. Mm. Dr. Tim Collins, that's wonderful news, and we certainly look forward to that legacy down the road. We know that you will honor that, and we thank you for your presence there, your ministry, but also to the wonderful students that make up that university that have such a wonderful outlook and vision of this global church that we all belong to. So thank you for celebrating that. Thank you so much. Happy anniversary, Father. Swords up. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? you can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to PovertyUSA.org today because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. By the time we can walk, each of us yearns for the joy that comes from being able to do for ourselves. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Church World Service. The song we have for you today is from the CD called The Living Christ. It is by the Kellenberg Memorial High School Choir. There is a candle in every soul, some brightly burning, some dark. Still holds a candle 
present to tell us about the scriptures for this 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time is Deacon William Wainio. What do you think today's gospel is all about? I've heard people say, this gospel is about one son who was obedient and did what he was asked, and it's about another son who was disobedient and who lied. Another person once told me, this gospel passage is about putting our faith into practice. While these are not incorrect answers, both actually very good answers, as the passage from Matthew's gospel is about two sons and does place an important emphasis on faith and works, I wish to present my own idea about what this gospel passage is all about. You see, I believe this passage is about stretching ourselves into repentance and change. It's about being open to the unexpected and even undesirable ways God can speak and act in and through our lives. Just look at the last line from the gospel. Even when you saw that, you did not change your minds or believe him. That's what Jesus says. This change is not about a change of our mind as to what we might have for dinner, or what we're going to wear tomorrow. No, it's a deeper change. It's about something much deeper. It's about looking deeply into God's shocking love and changing our minds even about those things to which we are most dear. Look at the world around us. It's changing. Always has been, always will. Change is a part of life. Sometimes it's good change while other times it might not be so positive. When we are faced with a change that causes problems or hurt and heartache in our lives, we have to look beyond the problem and come up with ways of solving the issue at hand. This is where the chief priests and the elders failed miserably. They saw the tax collectors and the prostitutes repenting and following Jesus and instead of using that as encouragement for their own self-change, they simply dug their heels in even deeper because they did not want to associate with such people. If only the priests and the elders had what the great St. Augustine called the two spiritual activities, memory and imagination. The priests and the elders lacked both. They had no memory of the Jewish history, where God's great call to repentance stands firm from of old. God called the people of Israel to repent and to change. The elders and the leaders also lacked imagination. They could not even begin to believe in a God that could change the hearts of the people, that could change the hearts of these tax collectors and prostitutes. If only they had a memory to recall their own history, they would surely be able to see where God was and continues to be all-forgiving and all-merciful to all of God's people. We are called today to be changed and transformed by the love and mercy of God. We are sent out to be the change that our world so desperately needs, a positive change. We need the memory and the imagination. 
the memory to affirm and to hold on to our Catholic identity to which we are called. This means standing up for the dignity of all human beings, to care for God's creation, the earth in which we live, the earth in which we've been given to grow in and to nurture. We are called to spread the good news to every corner of the world. This is our mission, and we can only do it with a creative imagination and a deep memory. Don't be surprised if God calls you in different ways, in surprising ways, to spread the good news of the Gospels. God is a God of surprises. Just ask anyone who tried to tell God their own plans and how they were going to follow Him and what they wanted in life. We are called to change and we are called to be the change. For Wineskins, I'm Deacon William Wania. Jesus said of the one son in today's gospel, he regretted it and went. What a beautiful statement that is. The one child felt ashamed of himself and did something about it. That is the only kind of remorse that has any real meaning. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Dossison Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, saying thank you for being with us. Have a blessed week. And we of Wineskins encourage you to pray for the dignity and sanctity of all human life, from conception to natural death. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.